I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich, and today with me is Esther Bloom. She is an integrative dietitian and high-performance coach, and um, her, her goal and she, what she's done is help thousands of women permanently lose weight and eliminate the need for medication, lose stubborn belly fat, and reverse chronic illness. She teaches her clients to cultivate a warrior mindset when it comes to healing their relationship with food and unconditionally loving their bodies. Esther is the best-selling author of Cave Women Don't Get Fat. I like that title. Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous, Secrets of Gorgeous, and the Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous Project. She currently maintains a busy virtual practice where she provides 360 degrees of healing with physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual support. Esther has appeared on Dr. Oz, The Today Show, and Fox News Live. Welcome to the show, Esther. I really appreciate you coming on and taking out time. I know you have a very busy schedule, so thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Ari, for having me. So tell us a little bit about what got you started in the world of dietitian, and then what kind of transitioned you from dietitian to integrative dietitian? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I grew up in a medical family. My grandfather and father were both physicians. Um, my grandfather was actually an ears, nose, and throat doctor and an incredible surgeon. He was the tonsil king of Brooklyn. And uh, he trained my grandmother to be the anesthesiologist. And the two of them took my tonsils out in uh, their house in Brooklyn. My grandfather had an operating room. Uh, a treatment room, a consultation room, and 12-bed pediatric recovery room, all on the first floor of their house next to their kitchen and dining room. So, uh, you know, I grew up just thinking it was very normal for my grandfather to operate on me in his own home, <laughs> which, and my grandmother to put the ether mask over my face. Um, so I was never even in a hospital, really, until childbirth. Um, so, my father also was a gifted um, dermatologist. He was a wonderful healer. And I saw the two of them making house calls. You know, we would go up to my grandfather's farmhouse in Ridgefield, Connecticut on the weekends and the phone would ring and, you know, they, in the answering service would say, I'd like to speak to Dr. Blum. And we were like, well, which one, you know? And so, um, and they were just kind, compassionate people who did house calls and real country doctors. Uh, even though my grandfather was in Brooklyn. And then my mother was a nurse and we had lots of pharmacists in our family. So I grew up around medicine. I was comfortable around it. It was discussed at our dinner table for better or for worse. And I knew that I was interested in it. I always did well in it in school, but I didn't want to go to medical school. And my my grandfather said, what are you, what are you thinking? I said, I think I want to be a dietitian because it's all the pre-med requirements. Basically it's a little less physics, but it's all pre-med, but none of the, you know, residency. I mean, I had an internship, but it wasn't like this intense residency. And, um, and my grandfather said, what are you doing? That's like the biggest mistake. You're never going to be a success or make any money. And I was like, oh, it's on, it is so on right now. 
So uh, I, I obviously have made money and been a success since then. <laughs> Proved him wrong, and he became my greatest champion. You know, so it was all, it was really great. So then I worked in hospitals for the first five years of my career, and loved it. Loved clinical dietetics, but there's only so much impact you're going to make on an 85 year old after they've had a heart attack and you have five to 10 minutes to give them diet instruction and absolutely no follow-up or continuity or accountability for them at all. So, um, I began to, you know, I was building a private practice even while I was working at the hospital. And, um, I went to a cocktail party at my parents' house and, one of the, one of her friends said, what do you, you're a nutritionist. Like, what do you know about vitamins and minerals? And I said, truthfully, I'm embarrassed to say I have two degrees in clinical nutrition and I know nothing about vitamins and minerals. The, the class we took in college or in grad school called vitamins and minerals, the professor basically said, well, everything you need, you know, you can get from food. I was like, why am I here? What, what is happening? So I said, I'd really love to learn more about supplements. I don't know about them. And she said, oh, well, my, my strength coach is taking a functional medicine course. You should talk to her. So I did. And my grandfather at the time had wanted to give me $2,000 to pay off some of my grad school loans. And the course, of course, was exactly $2,000 because that's what the universe does, laughs and plays tricks on us. So I said, you know what? Uh, I'd really love to parlay this money into more education. He was like, go for it. So uh, took that functional medicine course and have never looked back. I left the hospital within the year and uh, worked for a functional medicine doctor for a couple of years and then was out of my own full time. So, and it, it's a much better way to serve people. I mean, clinical dietetics is an amazing education and it's an important one, but it's an incomplete one and it doesn't address you know, you learn and look at very specific research studies, um, but you're only seeing about half the picture. You don't look at supplements and, and there are emerging programs on nu functional nutrition. I don't want to disparage those at all, but a clinical dietetics track um, doesn't look at all the research studies on vitamins and minerals and nutrients and how, you know, supplements can be an adjunct. It, it doesn't take into account like a keto diet or a hardcore um, autoimmune AIP diet or gluten-free, you know, and I, to this day, I get two different nutrition journals, right? I get journals from clinical nutrition side and journals from the functional nutrition side. And it is like two completely different worlds. It's two completely different parties. And it's, it's fascinating to me what is not addressed, especially when like on my bookshelf behind me, I mean, one of my books, nutrition and integrated medicine, you know, it's an 800 page textbook I read and studied and took an exam on this year, all on functional medicine. <laughs> and I'm like, how has that not made it into the dietetics curriculum yet? So it's- I know. So, so, so why do you think, what, what's, what's your reasoning, having been on both sides of, of the industry, why do you think the language is so completely different between the two and the studies, the research, the science, the everything that we look at, you know, I, I've, I've been trained in functional medicine and have an immense amount of pain when it comes to seeing how much is missed in translation. And I'll give you a quick example. I, I had a, um, 
a family member who sent me all his labs and his doctor was a traditional doctor, basically said nothing was wrong with him. And I started going through on a functional lab level and I kept looking at all these different numbers that were in the normal for the pathological numbers, but completely outside of, of functional. And as I looked through this, I was going, I, I basically figured out that this person was in liver failure, like was through the combination of things that were off, it was pretty clear picture, but the doctor said, oh, you're perfectly fine. And so that's kind of the thing that bog, bugs the crap out of me. So why do you think that it's so lost in translation between functional medicine and Western medicine? Yeah, I, I don't have all the answers on where the gap lies, but I will say money is a big piece of it. Um, you know, there's big ag and big pharma. And, um, you know, for dietitians, the Food Guide Pyramid is sponsored heavily by, you know, the dairy board, the grain board, <laughs> not so much the meat board, right? Meat gets all this horrible press, even though um, pastured meat is the most sustainable practice that we have in supporting agriculture and regenerative farming. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think there's a lot more money behind that or there's money behind drug companies saying, you know, oh, you know, your, your mortality rate is much less when you take Lipitor every day or you take a statin every day and your cholesterol needs to be lower and lower and lower and lower when cholesterol used to be 200 plus your age. We need cholesterol to support libido, to make testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, be fertile, uh, you know, feel good. Your brain health, function, yeah. Brain function, healthy hair, skin, nails, fight depression, ADHD, gut health, all those things. So yeah, I, I think it's money, um, even though it's silly because there's plenty of money to be made in supplements too. <laughs> if people are smart, they jump on that bandwagon. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot harder to say, you know, eat a serving of blueberries every day for brain health, right? Versus like, well, you can just take this drug or, you know, so it's, I think you're constantly battling money. This is, this country puts the health of the pocketbook or the wallet way ahead of the health of the people profits over people is what I'm trying to say. Right. So I heard a saying recently and it, it went something along the lines of you eat vegetables to detoxify and then you eat meat to heal. Oh, I love that. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> yes. I mean, but meat helps detoxify too. If you don't have enough protein, uh, it's really hard to get your liver to conjugate, you know, essential amino acids and heal and detox your body. So, but, you know, it, it is interesting. Um, I do have, there is a caveat to this. And I do have some clients that when I increase their meat, they gain weight and they can't process all the fat. So some people, I actually have to go, on the plant-based route for about four to six months sometimes to really clean up their liver and do a good detox that's more plant-based and then go back to the paleo. It depends on someone's starting point. If someone is super, super obese, 
um, and their cortisol is off the charts. You know, it's, we, we tried different approaches there. The high meat doesn't always work. It depends. Right. Yes, yeah. for a healthy, normal, you know, reasonable weight, uh, if someone's within their target range, then yeah, I believe that. I think you do need a balance of, of meat and, and poultry and fish and vegetables to really detoxify and, and organ meats and build muscle, support bone density. Right. Yeah, you know, it, when I look at, at human beings and um, how we used to eat then I look at animals and, you know, they talk about vegetables and how uh, you can build muscle with, with just eating vegetables and being a vegetarian. But I look at, at animals that are uh, on a plant-based diet and they're typically very large. And then I look at animals that are predator animals and they're typically very small, but muscular and powerful. Yeah. And, you know, so you have slow and large on a plant-based diet, but yet we get told all the time lately, especially about these plant-based diets being the healthiest thing we could do. And then now they're coming out with all these plant-based meats that are, um, I don't know what you think of them. I'm like a my shit own <laughs> chemical shit storm. I mean, <laughs> I always talk about this with my son. Uh, you know, he's, he's almost 14. I'm like, stay the hell away from that crap. He's like, mom, I would never be vegan. I just wouldn't do it. You know, again, it goes back to money. Like it's, um, you know, Bill Gates is taking over a lot of our farmland that is producing GMO based crops. Um, the, the beyond burgers and the pea proteins, anytime there is, uh, you know, that type over plant-based versus actual clinical research, um, it's, there's money behind it. People have money to gain from it. And there's a tremendous amount of clinical research on um, the importance of protein for <clears throat> longevity, for bone density, you know, muscle. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, she's my doctor and my, my sister, my friend, um, but she always talks about how, you know, muscle's the organ of longevity. And and there's so much clinical research on, you know, how um, we actually need to increase the guidelines for the RDA for protein that it's under what it should be. And case in point, you know, um, if if I do the math and give a healthy individual point, what is it? I think it's like 0.6 or 0.8 grams per kilogram of protein. They're getting what my renal failure patients used to get in the hospital for the amount of protein that they're recommended. What you really should do for those of you who are new to all this is a gram per pound of body weight or your ideal body weight. If you're overweight, then you would use your ideal or adjusted body weight. If you're 250 pounds and you want to weigh 150, you know, start at your protein at least 150 and go up 170. There was a, a great study recently done on Navy SEALs who were given very low calorie diets under harsh conditions of high physical demand um, and 100 grams of protein a day. And that was the baseline minimum that they could get away with eating and still maintain their muscle mass. So, you know, I have a lot of clients who actually really struggle to get their protein intake up. And I'm like, just, 
make your baseline threshold 100 grams per day. If you can get up to, they usually can't get up to like 150, but I'm like, if you can get up to 120, you know, it still can change your body composition, but I don't want just adequate. And that's what the RDA is. It is like adequate to not waste away. I really want people to have optimal. Gotcha. So I had a, a dietitian tell me one time as she was drinking a diet soda in my presence, <laughs> she said um, something along the lines of, I like to eat my calories, not drink them. Uh-huh. What do you think of that statement and people who think that diet sodas are so much better or diet foods in general are so much better yeah. than natural foods? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, your body, your choice. So you want to put crap that you know, interferes with proper neurotransmitter function in your brain, you knock yourself out. But, uh, you know, and yes, you, you don't want to get your calories from orange juice or, you know, uh, necessarily sodas or anything like that. But sometimes drinking calories can actually be nutritious. If I can get someone to get a protein shake where they're getting 50 grams of protein instead of eating two eggs where they're getting 14 grams of protein, I am going to say, drink your, drink your calories and put some fiber in there, put some chia and flaxseed and put a low glycemic fruit and some veggies if you want and drink it all at once. Don't like sip it over hours of the day where you're messing with your blood sugar so much. So it's really time and place. I mean, hypocrisy abounds in diet and dietetics professions. I remember going to so many nutrition conferences and there were so many obese dietitians. And then I would go to the functional medicine conferences and where, you know, the wacky, wacky people and like everyone was pretty fit. So <laughs> you tell me, I don't know. And you go to the strength coach conferences when Charles Pollock was alive, I did many of his conferences and okay, I'm talking guys six to 12% body fat. So and they were eating, by the way, one to 1.5 to two grams of protein per pound of body weight. So, and they were like the leanest humans on the planet. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about um, lentils and lectins and yeah. nightshades and inflammatory foods. Yeah. And, you know, even like tomatoes. I had a, I had a client one time paid me for a six month package and after going through everything at the very beginning and doing all the testing and all that stuff, um, we were putting her on an elimination plan and she was Italian and she said, keep your money. I can't not eat tomatoes. And I said, it's only three weeks. And she wouldn't. She couldn't not eat the tomato, yeah. but you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Kind of unpack this because everybody's getting their information from Dr. Google right now. And, uh, and I'm not sure Dr. Google has all of the correct information, you know, readily available in a way that yeah. people can search. Yeah. Well, when it comes to elimination diets, you know, it's, it's tricky, right? Because um, if, Somebody has a lot of people who I treat, for example, have H. pylori or like real active H. pylori or um, where they're having symptoms or they have parasites or they have leaky gut or SIBO. So under those circumstances, right, you're 
um, you, with an inflamed gut wall and you're adding gasoline to the fire when you put those inflammatory foods into your system, right? That foods that you're sensitive to and often the foods that you're the most sensitive to are the ones that you're eating every day already anyway. So you can do food allergy testing during those times, but it's going to show up, you know, you're going to show up with 20, 30, even 40 allergies. That's how you really know you have a leaky gut, by the way, the more allergies you have tells us a lot about your gut. But that being said, um, you know, some people, I, so I like to do elimination diets by trial. You know, there's no one set thing. And yes, if someone's more autoimmune and I have them on an autoimmune protocol, then yeah, I take them off nightshades um, and lectins, but at the same time, I have plenty of people I treat who have absolutely no problem eating those foods at all. And so I really only try and take away what has to be taken away and what people can stick to because, um, you know, I, I just don't find people are going to adhere to things long-term. <laughs> they really, if they're too, too, too restrictive, the people who do are the ones who get really sick from eating those foods and have immediate reactions like severe. I have a client that saw this morning. She's like, been eating my inflammatory foods. I couldn't even get out of my minivan. Like I couldn't put weight on my right foot. I was like, well then don't eat that stuff. But other people, you know, can eat it and, or they take the lectins away and don't really notice much difference. So I kind of, it's a combination of testing, right? I certainly do GI um, gut and stool testing, but I will also just say, how are you feeling? How's your energy? You're craving, you're bloating, your stool habits, you know, how's your thyroid function? What are your blood works looking like? So I don't know if that's the exact answer you were looking for, but you know, it depends. Just, the, the food allergy piece is really tricky. Yeah. Just unpacking, I think, um, for people what, you know, they hear all these fad diets and fad things and yeah. may not know how to navigate yeah. this. And so they end up, you know, you'll end up, okay, we're on the keto this week and intermittent fasting yeah. that week and paleo the other week. And we just keep switching because- we're not getting the the answer we want. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with my patients, I always said, well, in functional medicine, we test yeah, so that we're not, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard, but, um, but people don't really understand what all of these things are. They just look, yeah. I mean, I still don't know if anybody knows if milk is good for you or bad for you, you know what I mean? Like you, you have both sides yeah. Yeah. Of, of the equation. So I wanted to right. add that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and so much of your, your food can be, it, it, there's so many factors, right? It, okay, fine. You can find out where your genetics are. You know, you see people in uh, certain Nordic cultures eating a ton of dairy and are very lean and healthy, <clears throat> but were the cows given hormones, were the cows fed GMO grains, um, are they exposed to a lot less pesticides and GMOs in our food that are creating the leaky gut? You know, I, I think if we had, if we all had better gut integrity, we'd tolerate a lot more foods. To your point, like is milk good or bad for you? To me, it's, it's what you're eating, it's what you're absorbing. That is far more important to me than worrying about the semantics. I right. mean, in theory, you know, dairy's got it's got sugar, but it also has a lot of protein. I mean, cottage cheese to me is a, is a power food for a lot of people. 
So if my people tolerate it and say, yeah, I tolerate dairy fine and they're not having gut issues, I'm like, go for it. You know, it's, it's a lot more fun and easier to work with someone who has that much flexibility in their diets for sure. But yeah, once you start introducing um, external toxins or parasites or stress or trauma, and that changes the integrity of the gut wall, and the microbiome, then yeah, then all of a sudden you've got to start saying, all right, let me just pull some things out of my diet. Let me simplify it. Let me stick to real food. Let me manage my stress. Let me pull up gut healing nutrients in there and see if I can kind of return to, you know, I, I can tell you personally for me, I mean, you know, my twenties up through my twenties, I ate like gluten and dairy and, you know, once I cut it out, I was like, it's really hard for me to go back. My gut doesn't want it at all at all. Yeah, that, that's one of the interesting things I find that when you eliminate something like I, I, I don't eat sugar things and I don't drink juices and stuff like that. And every now and then, if I even go for a sip of orange juice or apple juice or th- something like that, I need to dilute it by like 10 to one oh, yeah. with, with water. I mean, like literally this much juice to the rest of the glass is water because otherwise it's just too sweet. It, it yeah. It's ridiculously too sweet. And so, you know, here's a, a, a figure and I don't remember the exact figure, but I think it was somewhere around one gram of sugar or one and a half grams of sugar in your bloodstream naturally is about the 90 you know, the, the 75 to 95 or whatever blood sugar ratio. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the amount of sugar that we're eating in our diet, I mean, if you could imagine a gram and a half is what your blood sugar should be. How many grams do you put into one cup of coffee? And then how many cups of coffee? And then how many, right, things that you're eating that you wouldn't necessarily think have sugar in them, have sugar added into them. Uh, and that, that goes along with the genetically modified foods because as you probably are aware, an apple 50 years ago had about a 10th of the amount of sugar that an apple has now. And you have to have about 10 apples to get the equivalent nutritive value as an apple 50, you know, in the fifties. So how does somebody, you know, navigate this entire the world of what we've done to our health and to our environment and to the way in which we consume? I know ignorance really was bliss in this, uh, <laughs> in this, um, a couple ways. Okay. One is <clears throat> try and look at the big picture because at the end of the day, you know, um, there, there was a great study Mercola published years ago about how, like, even if you're eating non-organic veggies, you're still getting benefits. Okay. And <clears throat> the nutrient content is far less than what our grandparents had, our parents had, even we had growing up. But if it, if it runs, flies, swims, or grows from the ground, it's still real food. And I see people healing their bodies eating imperfectly, not everything's organic, but if they're eating a lot of fruits and veggies and real food, compared to their starting point, they're gonna heal much better, okay? That's number one. Number two, 
A really cool thing to do to see how food affects you is to wear a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks. Um, that is a great way to really understand, right? How is that juice affecting me? Um, I did it recently a, a month or two ago. I wore one just because I was, you know, my clients wear them. I'm like, go get one, my, especially for my diabetic clients, but my non-diabetic clients, I'm like, if you really want to figure this out and you're, and you're trying to lean out and what you're doing isn't working, let's throw you in a glucose monitor. And my postprandial range was like 110. I started out in like the low 90s and got up to like 110. And that's like me eating protein, some carbs, veggies, right? But I had an afternoon and I was like, all right, well, that's so unexciting. If anything, my sugar was too low at night. So um, I start one afternoon, I had two clementines on an empty stomach. My sugar shot up to 150. And I was like, I'm metabolically healthy. My BMI is good. So what hope is there for people eating like donuts and sodas and all those things? But people can't argue with the numbers, right? Like your Italian client said, I can't give up tomatoes. People rationalize and bargain and play games, right? Like, well, I just want my dark chocolate every day. And I, believe me, I do that too. I still want a little chocolate every day or the option to have it, right? Because it's such a tiny amount, right? So that's how I justify it. And that really didn't affect my blood sugar, but the two oranges on an empty stomach sure as hell did. So you really have to, you, you can't argue with the numbers, right? And now I'm like, well, if I have fruit, I always have it with, I mean, I did this before too. Typically I have it with protein and or a fat, have it with some nuts, have it with some turkey or, you know, peanut butter or whatever. So I, I think those two things though is, Focusing on the big picture, because you can get really afraid of food and, and paralyzed, like, well, doesn't matter anyway, I'm going to hell for eating, you know, uh, not non-organic strawberries, so I may as well have the bag of Lay's potato chips, sour cream and onion. <laughs> so you still say, I'm still doing good, I'm still going to get results. Great, that's A. And B, if you want to tighten things up, like slap on a glucose monitor for two weeks. Cool. And, and see, see what your numbers are. Then you'll kind of know, oh, dang, I have to really tighten things up. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go a little bit different location with uh, the rest of the conversation because there are people like I am, like me, who have underlying conditions. So in my case, brain tumor, that is a pituitary tumor, it's hormone secreting and it messes every working functioning hormone in my body up. Yeah. Uh, so, so with food, I have to be so extremely careful to not have estrogen making foods and things that will cause my body to swell and bloat and go into hormone, you know, hormonal conditions more. So eating for hormonal health is something that I know you teach. And I wanted to, to get into that a little bit because there are so many people right now suffering from hormonal and autoimmune disorders because of what they're eating. And they don't even, and nobody, you know, nobody's telling them what it is that's going on. All they're doing is giving them pills. So, right. And are you aromatizing your testosterone to estrogen? Yep. My estrogen. So when I, when I was a kid, I had, I started getting hot flashes and migraines when I was seven. 
I had, uh, had to be injected into puberty when I was 12 and I had breast reduction surgery when I was 14 because I was, my estrogen was, I think it was triple at the time, uh, a man, a man's, you know, numbers. And so, yeah. yeah. So the, the testosterone was like, even with injections and, um, and bioidentical, it's never gone above like 300 or 350 which is way too low, but I also produce no human growth hormone mm -hmm. and my cortisol levels and C-reactive proteins are out of whack. Yeah. So, but, and, and again, it's not about me. I'm just using me as an example, but yeah, sure, sure. You know, hormonal health is, is very important in my world. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, so is your question how to, how to balance, or if you're a man, how to clear out excess estrogens? For man or woman, how to clear yeah. out excess estrogens, because women yeah. are, are suffering from the same kind of things. I mean, puberty at, I think I heard the earliest one now was four years old for a girl was going through. How is that physiologically possible? It's how not, but it is because they're being estrogenated with all of, all of the plastics and soys and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. And so people are, are suffering from these hormonal yeah. disruptions. Well, and fertility issues too, for sure. Um, okay. So let's talk about lifestyle management first, right? Which is um, your home, cleaning up your home. Because uh, like you mentioned, Ari, like a lot of chemicals are uh, mimicking the effect of estrogen and really disrupting uh our own biochemistry. So simple things, okay? Like um, having a metal reusable water bottle, it's just better for the earth or drinking out of glass glasses, not, uh, not plastic. Um, years ago, I went to like Home Goods and Walmart and, you know, Amazon, and I cleaned out all my plastic Tupperwares and switch them out with glass Tupperwares. And glass Tupperwares are great because they go from the freezer to the refrigerator, to the oven, to the dishwasher. <laughs> Assuming you have a dishwasher. So um, those are great because plastics can leach into the food. So it's better to put things in glass, which are inert chemically or metal containers as well. Um, and you know, a lot of kids have like plastic lunch boxes, but you can get metal containers um, or like metal bento boxes style uh, for kids. Okay, and then like your shampoos, your lotions, your makeup, uh, shaving cream, you know, you deodorants, you can get natural forms of those and they can be a little more expensive, but it's, to me, it's so worth it. It's a cheap hospital bill. So do what you can afford. And, you know, I, uh, I buy my husband and son their skincare products and stuff, uh, you know, Whole Foods has a really good line or excuse me, really good amounts. Now in terms of diet, you wanna make sure that you are um, eating a lot of fiber. Flax seeds in particular, are, ground flax seeds are great for men and binding estrogen and pulling them out. Pooping is a form of estrogen detox. So you wanna make sure that you're pooping every day if you're constipated, you gotta eat, eat uh, a lot of, veggies, but also drink a lot of water and you can take some magnesium that will, um, you know, there's a simple over-the-counter product called natural calm you can give it to kids. It's powder, stir it in water, drink it down. 
Um, so pooping every day is really important. Um, flax seeds, uh, broccoli and cruciferous vegetables are also really important for helping support detox pathways in the liver for getting the estrogen out. Now, in terms of whether or not, like I use a lot of supplements also in creams, topical creams to help bind estrogen. But in order to do this, I test people with uh, the Dutch test. This is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones because one person might need to get DIM, which is styendomethane, it's um, not supports estrogen detox. And another person might need, you know, topical Testinex or calcium deglucurate. So I really have to understand how much estrogen you're making, how it detoxifies and moves through your body, and if it's going down the right pathway. And if it's not, then, you know, we have to, it, it's complicated, right? You have to support your methylation patterns and all that. But certainly, um, you know, again, getting a diet, if, if you want to simplify this and say, well, that already feels overwhelming, scary, and weird, and you're not sure about testing, A, you would want to work with a good practitioner if you think you're estrogen dominant, but B, um, you know, packaging your food in glass, or if you get meats that are wrapped in plastic, when you come home, wash them, rinse them and dry them with paper towels before you start immediately cooking with them. Um, get plenty of green vegetables. Um, do not do soy. Soy suppresses thyroid function and can suppress testosterone production, even though it's temporary. Once you stop eating it, goes to normal, but those effects can be cumulative and can make girls developed um, breasts and pubic hair, even at a very young age. So you want to be super careful with soy um, and, and the volume and amount. So no soy milk or, you know, soy cheese or any of that. Um, but other than that, real food, sweet potatoes, um, you, you can do uh, lots and lots of veggies, protein, chicken, poultry, fish. None of those are estrogenic and all those can help you support good liver function. So the only question I have is the non-estrogenic for the meats. Mm. Is that true if they are pastured, you know, grain-fed hormone and, and, and antibiotic uh, given meats because, or, you know, even farmed salmons and things like yeah. that, that, I mean, all of those from all the research I've looked at tend to cause hormone disruption and neurological disruption. So, you know, it's so crazy to me. I have seen studies that say there's really no difference between pastured and uh, conventionally raised meats on that. So I'm, there's a, a good book called Sacred Cow. It's written by Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers. Um, and even they say like nutritionally, there's not necessarily a difference. It's just better for the planet. So I, I can't make a claim one way or the other. I've seen both sides of the research. I, I don't know. Okay. Because all the research that I do, the fat is completely different. Omegas, you know, so yeah. one is a very inflammatory creating fat and the other is not. So if, yeah. if, the, if a cow say is, raised and is grass fed and free range, uh, yeah. the kind of fat is very much more omega-3 versus omega-6. Correct. And yes. therefore that inflammatory response causes a hormonal 
response. That's at least the studies that I've, that I've seen. So I just kind of want, I want to get people, yes, it's better to have something than nothing at all. Yes. But at the same time, it's, it's better to spend a little bit more, eat a little bit less. Like yeah. you didn't eat massive amounts of meat, three meals a day growing up, you know, in, in the caves, right? It was, a, it was once in a while that when we got, you know, the, the, when we hunted that we yeah. got them. So I would just say eat less but eat better quality of it. And you'll find that you're actually more satisfied anyway. And so correct. correct. You know, if you're scared about money, you find that if you're not eating in the middle of the store, like all the processed foods, food goes a lot further, a lot, you know, yes. more uh, economical, even when you're eating healthier organic foods. Yes, correct. Correct. And, you know, when you find foods in season two, they're a lot less expensive too. So the price does go down. But to your point, yes. I mean, I, I wrote a, a paleo diet book for women called Cave Women Don't Get Fat. And um, I have all those studies in there published and I write all about the grass-fed meat. So I was surprised when more recent research came out and said, it's actually not that different. So I was like, what? How is this possible? It kind of blew my mind. Yeah. But, uh, I, I wonder yeah. how, yeah. I wonder just how much of it, it is. Yeah. Just cooking it. I mean, grass fed meat is, is much more difficult for me to cook because it is, it's so lean and it, it's tougher and you know, it's hard to find the same cuts of meat that I get from a conventional butcher. So it is a little trickier. Um, but yeah, I, we kind of do a hybrid. We do both depending on where, cause uh, the grass fed butcher is nowhere near us. It's a hike to get to. Um, so we, we kind of do a mix of both. I'll be perfectly transparent, say I'm not perfect with my eating either, but, but I look at the big picture. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Don't you know, perfectly the enemy of done. No, none of us are, are perfect with our eating. Um, you know, sourdough bread is still one of my, mm. my, uh, my curses along with, uh, with sushi is, is one of the things that I love and I don't care about the mercury because I'll eat it once and I'll, you know, enjoy every yeah. little bit of it. <laughs> and then I just won't eat it for a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But <clears throat> Balance. You, you have to live, you know, and I cringe at that word because to me, it's like I'm part with moderation, which every dietitian is like taught moderation till the cows come home. But but there is balance and, you know, pleasure is a nutrient too. And, you know, I, I still have a cocktail every now and then I still have, you know, things I enjoy and don't, don't stress about too much. Cause I'll raise your cortisol more than anything else. That, that is true. <laughs> yep. The, the, uh, the stress that we put on ourselves with eating disorders and yeah. trying to, to fit into an image that we think somebody, sh you know, has of what we think they should have of us, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. most of the time people aren't noticing anywhere near the same things that you think that they're noticing about you. So yeah, I always say, you know, nobody's noticing the size of your thighs. They're too busy worrying about the size of their own thighs. So <laughs> absolutely. So Tell us uh, just, at, you know, to kind of close up, what are yeah. a few of the things that people can do immediately 
to shift and change their own health in a yeah. way that that's powerful, but simple and easy. Yeah. So um, picking up, uh, investing in a couple of sets of dumbbells is really important right now. Um, you think I would say food would be the first thing out of my mouth, but you know, this pandemic has taken its toll. Obesity is a whole nother level of a pandemic right now. And uh, people may not be going to gyms for a while longer or gyms may not be open. I, God willing they are, but you know, don't sit and wait for the perfect conditions to arise to invest in a little bit of home workout equipment. So you have, you could start with your own body weight, a furniture slider set is, couple bucks and can make lunges and squats really dynamic and challenging. Um, but you want to make sure that you are doing some kind of strength training because you don't want to lose, you know, be uh, so sedentary this year that everything's going to pot. You want to make sure you're maintaining, you know, so a kettlebell set of weights, TRX, um, make sure that you're investing in some kind of strength equipment and you can get free videos on YouTube for strength workouts, even using your own body weight to start. Okay. So don't build excuses around why you're not going to the gym right now. Find ways to make it work for you at home. And you don't need a lot of space. You don't need a lot of equipment, but you need some, you need some resistance training. It's really important. So number two is sleep, uh, sleep reigns queen when it comes to being your metabolic mistress or a metabolic master. So sleep is really, really important. If you're not sleeping, it's really hard to heal your body and fix your adrenals and fix your cortisol and um, stay insulin sensitive. So make sure that your sleep hygiene is good. It's one of the hardest things. I think sleep habits are harder for my clients to change than giving up booze or coffee. And my clients who are going to bed past 1230, 1, 1.32 are struggling with their weight loss. They're struggling to see results far more than people who front load their sleep and get to bed closer to 10. That's when you're producing the most, those are the golden hours, 10 to two, when you're producing the most growth hormone, repairing your blood glucose mechanisms and your receptors. So make sure you're getting sleep. And three, of course, I'm going to say protein, Ari, because we need more protein as we age, not less. So make sure you're getting, you know, 30, 40 grams a meal. This will sustain your blood sugar for up to six hours. It will promote mental cognitive health. It will boost neurotransmitter function. It will prevent the 3 p.m. crash. It will prevent cravings. It'll make you a nicer person. And if you are listening to this and you are a menstruating female, the second half of your cycle, you're even more insulin resistant and less insulin sensitive. So make sure you double up your protein that second half and it will offset your cravings, your bloat, your weight gain, all those things. And I'll just add to add iron, iron to, that, yes. to that mix because you don't want to ever get to a place of anemia. That's correct. That's correct. So awesome. So how can people get a hold of you? So you can go to my website, estherblum.com. And um, for the first seven callers, I, or people who respond to this, pardon me, going old school here, uh, you can get a free 30 minute consultation with me. 
This is a laser focused coaching call for people who are serious about moving the needle with their health. So you go to estherblum.com forward slash call, that's C-A-L-L, and you can get my appointment book and you and I will talk and you will leave with three strategic customized tools to help you move the needle, whether it's you want weight loss, you want to sleep better, you want to balance your hormones. We will have you leave with a written instruction list of what you need. Nice. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, every episode I like to, to leave the audience with doable things so that they can create a new tomorrow today and activate their vision for a better world. So thank you so much for activating your vision and not just that, but coming out into the public. You know, I like to say uh, silence is a bully's best friend. So let's get loud. And I appreciate everybody <laughs> who comes onto the show getting loud and going up against the bullies like big agriculture, big pharmaceutical, big medicine in general. And and saying, hey, here's, here's the truth. We don't know about this science because it's been paid for and bought, but we do know that based on these thousands of years and what we can say is if you eat this amount of food, you're going to be healthier. And if you get about this amount of walking in and this amount of movement. So I, I appreciate all of uh, your wisdom. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're busy so thank you. Uh, and this yeah. has been another episode. So thank you so much for listening. And hopefully you have gotten an amazing amount of things that you can do right now to create your new tomorrow today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.